Hey, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse family. I wanted to remind you before the show starts that if you are considering travel nursing, you can go to their website today at trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and start seeing opportunities right now all across the country. You can see what they pay. You can see the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of storytelling and true crime, chatting about nursing and healthcare and really anything that manages to pop into my head or spark conversation along the way. I have a a really interesting show planned for you guys today. For the true crime portion, this is going to be a little different than our normal format because we're going to do several little stories. This is something that I tend to find a lot of these stories when I'm doing research for different stories for the podcast. These come up all the time. And so every time I always cringe. And so I want to combine them all and just talk about this phenomenon of healthcare workers being caught on camera doing things they shouldn't do. So then for the good nurse story, we're going to talk about a nurse from Nashville, Tennessee. That's uh, my hometown and not too far from where I live now. An absolutely heartbreaking story, just unimaginable incident that led to her death. But we want to honor her memory and tell her story. So be sure and stick around for that. So before I introduce my guest host for this week, I'd like to let everyone know that Good Nurse, Bad Nurse Live will be at the Tennessee Student Nurse Association Convention in September. So on September 25th, we're going to do a live show that we will record and release as an episode. And we're going to be also in Georgia at the Georgia Association of Nursing Students Convention on October the 8th doing a live show there. So if you're a nursing student and you're in Tennessee or Georgia and you're planning on going to the convention, be sure and come by and see us. I'd love to meet you guys. So enough of the housekeeping stuff. I want to introduce you guys to another nursing podcast. You know how I love to let you know when I find another nursing podcast that's awesome and I found one and I love to have them on and meet them because it's just like a little network of people and I get to meet new nurses all from all over the world. And this new podcast that I found is called, and I don't know how new it is, but it's new to me, but it's called Cup of Nurses. It's really cute little play on words there because it's a couple of guys having a cup of coffee and chatting about all sorts of nursing stuff. And those two guys are Matt Solerzik, and I know I said it wrong, and I knew I was going to say it wrong, and Peter Fendura. Matt and Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tina. Thanks so much for having us. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for your time. And I'm excited for the podcast because we're both, all three of us are ISU nurses, so we could pitch into these stories and give a perspective of how things actually maybe should have played out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Especially kind of going th- through the situations one at a time. I'm anxious to get in here and kind of talk about this stuff with some other nurses just to 
because I know my perspective. It scared me. It scares me to think about hidden cameras. I guess we can get started. The first one that we're going to do is about a nurse by the name of Violetta Aylward. When Jamie Merritt was 37 years old, he was injured in a car accident. This was in 2002. And because of that, he requires around-the-clock care. He's paralyzed from the neck down, so he's on a ventilator. And he was, however, able to operate a wheelchair. So he had some mobility and a little bit of freedom. He also had a voice-activated computer. We get these people sometimes. Uh, I used to work on a progressive care unit at PCU. And so this is exactly the kind of patient that if, if for some reason he were to, say, get pneumonia or something like that, he would definitely end up on our floor being on a ventilator. He was, I'm sure it was trached, you know, trach bent. So this is a patient that I would definitely be familiar with for sure. But, you know, when we get into this story, it's going to be pretty shocking for you guys listening. And it's definitely going to be a cautionary tale for nurses about not accepting a, a an assignment unless you're sure you can handle it. Especially because you come from an ICU background and sometimes our unit does rely on, on like float nurses. A lot of times the nurses don't exactly know what happens in the ICU or what to do in certain situations. And they don't really ask questions or bring it up. They just take an assignment on thinking that they're kind of figured out and it's not always not always the case. And like the key thing about floating to ICU or having a patient that you maybe you haven't really worked with is, is asking questions. If you're not sure how to do things, the best thing you, you could do for yourself and for the patient is, is ask somebody on how to do certain things because a lot of times we can avoid problems and issues and even death just by speaking to somebody and asking on how do I do this? What's the proper procedure to doing this or how do we even do it on a unit? You're correct. And also, we're also our worst enemy where we self-criticize ourselves and don't want to ask questions because we feel like the other nurse or our coworker might be thinking we're stupid. Or how do you not know this? How do you not know what the protocol is? Yeah. So then you kind of start learning how to troubleshoot yourself because of the self-criticism. And that's where you could go down that rabbit hole of doing med errors or potentially having somebody's life go. Right. It's a scary thing with, with ICU nurses too, where they eat their young. If you're maybe like a float nurse and you have a bad experience with asking questions or asking for help or guidance and a nurse completely shuts you down, you're going to be more fearful next time asking questions. You might not want to, you know, ask anybody for help because how you got treated before. So for everybody listening out there, you know, just ask questions. This is something I did have to learn because I'm a sensitive kind of person. So I get my feelings hurt. I don't like to be yelled at. I don't like confrontation. And I had to learn that if I was going to be a nurse working and taking care of human life, that I'm going to have to just be, I'm going to have to suck it up, thicken up my skin and be willing to take criticism because I have no business trying to figure something out on my own if I don't know. So I'll ask the dumbest question. I'll ask a question I know the answer to because I just want to make sure. So if they think I'm stupid, they think I'm stupid. I don't care anymore. It did bother me at first. And there will always be those people that are bullies and that love it when you ask them a question that they think is, quote, a stupid question or that you should have known because it just makes them feel so smart. Let them feel smart. That's fine. I'm going to go on and I'm going to continue to take good care of my patient. And now I know the answer to that question and I won't have to ask that one again. And as you as you go on, those people will come and go, you know, they'll come and go. And eventually you're going to build on your knowledge and you're going to be an excellent nurse and you're not going to treat other nurses that way. So hopefully we can foster that sort of a, a culture instead of that toxic culture of, you know, eating your young and, and all that nonsense. I, I just can't stand that. 
So Jamie, this our, our patient, lived in Wiltshire, England. And so the National Health Service actually handled his care arrangements. He had reported to them that there were agency nurses that he felt like that they, when they were coming in, that they were not really capable of handling, you know, his ventilator and, and other things, you know, because they would come in and, and take care of lots of things. But he's on a ventilator and he, he reported to them, I, I don't really feel like they are trained. And actually, they would send nurses over there that were not intensive care trained. They didn't have experience with ventilators. And you would think that even if you're not intensive care trained, you at least have some training on the ventilator before you're going to be handed a patient. That seems so ridiculous. Like, of course you would expect that. But I have to say, you know, when we get into this story, I want to see what you guys think about this. Because so in early 2009, Jamie had a webcam placed in his home that overlooked his bed. And there was a note over it that read, this is my webcam. It is for my family to see that I am safe. It is recording. So they were fully aware. This is not like a, you know, hidden camera situation. They knew that they were being recorded. So this nurse, Violetta, came in. She was employed by this agency and hired by the NHS. And she did not have experience with ventilators or intensive care. And she really had been used to working mostly with patients with learning disabilities. And I just felt like she was dangerous because she didn't know what she didn't know. She didn't even understand how important it was. If I go into a situation and I see some device, you know, with a patient that's obviously very sick or dependent on a machine, I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. I will be like, uh, you know, a peritoneal dialysis. I, I've never dealt with that before. But occasionally we'll have a patient on the floor that I used to work that would be getting peritoneal dialysis. And the a nurse from the renal floor will come and administer all of that and do the whole thing. I will not even look at that machine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm not trained on it. And there's no way I would ever, you know, touch it because I don't want to do something to harm my patient. But, you know, I feel like this nurse just, just didn't even understand how important it was that she didn't know anything. So to reach over and literally push a button, but that's exactly what happened. The video shows her pushing a button on the ventilator and then alarm was triggered and then you see her going into a panic. And then she pressed the button again. And this time the machine cut off. And so Jamie started making a clicking noise. And working on PCU, I've heard this noise a lot. They are taught this uh, sound that they can make with their tongue to uh, that's very loud and specific. And it's supposed to alert people around them like, hey, this is an emergency. It's really something really bad. I need help right now. So she screamed at the machine and then called another assistant from another room and then called nine, their equivalent to 911. It's 999 there. She attempted to use an Ambu bag. She didn't know how to use it. And she just clearly did not understand just basic resuscitation. And then paramedics got there and got him breathing again. But it, he had gone 21 minutes without oxygen. Listen to this story. I feel like there was a failure on both the nurses and not only because this guy almost died, but on a communication aspect as well. And of course, the manager's fault or whoever is the charge of this, because it seems like this nurse was almost set up for failure. First of all, she wasn't used to these kind of patients. And second of all, she wasn't even used to the machines that they were working with. So from like a charge nurse's perspective, because I used to be a charge nurse, 
you know, a few years ago. And I would never try to do that. If somebody doesn't know how to take something or do something, I would rather have somebody else take it. And and even though though I would try to make assignments as even as possible, you know, you, you can't always accommodate for everybody. I would never put a nurse with a patient that has a device or something going on that they don't have any kind of experience with. Like I'm okay with a nurse having this patient as long as they've seen it a little bit or dealt with it, like that's fine. I could walk them through it, but if it's their first time ever touching this, then I'm not gonna have them have them use it. And the thing is with, with ventilators, they're all different. Every hospital that I've that I've been to, I've almost seen a, a different vent each time. So you might be you might be comfortable with ventilators, but not necessarily this brand of ventilator, which also goes back to you know speaking, which obviously this nurse didn't even have a clue on ventilators nor how to do proper CPR. Both definitely are, are flawed in this. The, the the agency that hired her and the nurse itself, I feel like are are a fault in this one. And why are you pressing stuff if you're not sure what these buttons do? You know, why don't you like go ask somebody first instead of just pressing stuff? And these ventilators, usually the on and off button, it's usually red or it's in the back. So it's just kind of already use a little bit of common sense, not to be rude here, but you have to use, use a little bit of common sense on what you're doing, on what you're pressing. If a big red button has a power sign on it, and as this machine is used, is used to help somebody breathe, I probably shouldn't mess with it. Well, and also they clearly breathe out of their trach. You know, the trach, and she put the Ambu bag over his, the mask over his face or in his mouth, maybe because I guess it didn't have a mask on it. Maybe she put the, the thing that you normally would just attach to the trach and then squeeze. She put it over his mouth. I mean, to be honest, there was one situation where there was raspberry response called and I walk into a, into a patient's room and his patient is traked and they have a nasal cannula over the patient's nose. I was like almost shocked when I walk into that room. Like this guy has a, has a trach and you guys decided to put oxygen over his nose. At least put like the bag over his trach, you know, because he's not gonna be able yeah. to breathe through his, through his nose like that. It's not gonna it's not gonna work. You'd be surprised how wide the nursing knowledge spectrum can be sometimes. And also, we don't have experience out of the hospital. Like we don't know what that scenario feels like. I'm just giving I'm being a devil's advocate here. At the end of the day, it's almost like the agencies both are at fault, but the agency should have better resources for these people. Or, or what is the protocol for this specific situation? At the end of the day, don't send out that nurse with no experience. I wonder if there was an orientation to it too. Yeah. Because usually if, like I said, if I have a flow coming in, I would orient them to the unit and to how we do certain things. I wonder if this nurse got an orientation. If this is a new nurse that does not work with ventilators, someone should at least go there and explain, hey, this is the ventilator. These are the few buttons that you, that you should press. This button you shouldn't press. This is, this is what this button does. There's not that much buttons on a ventilator. You could memorize probably the, the most important ones and you should be able to use some knowledge and some of your nursing background and common sense to kind of figure out what should be pressed or what shouldn't be pressed. Yeah. And just because an alarm is going off doesn't mean you should turn it off right away. Like, yeah, alarms are scary, but they're there for a reason. Sometimes it's better off if you're not sure what to do or how to silence it, you're better off having that alarm keep going off, keep going off and get somebody else. Because then at least the unit knows that there's an alarm going in that room instead of just silencing it and t- turning it off like this lady did. Yeah, and I know that she panicked and that, in that situation with all the adrenaline, you know, that I'm sure she just wasn't able to think clearly and being new and unfamiliar, she just panicked and did the wrong thing. And that's, that's what's so sad. And that's why an inexperienced person shouldn't be in that situation in the first place. And I don't blame many people for these kind of mistakes. I blame more of the process. Like, hey, this happened for a reason. It's not because this nurse was bad. It's not because this man- manager was bad. It's because the process in place was in- inefficient to promote the well-being of this of this patient or its resident or foster the knowledge that this nurse needed to take on this, this, this patient load. It's rarely one person's fault unless you're trying to harm somebody with intent. It's usually the process that that's the issue. Yeah, I mean- so it's one of the situations where I don't see 
like yeah both parties did did bad but you can't really put blame on them it's more of the process but she did accept the assignment and that's another thing is when if you if you agree to accept an assignment and i don't know that is with the nhs it's a different situation i don't know the agency she worked it's a completely different country but you do have the right to say, I am not trained on that. I am not accepting that patient because my license is on the line and that's a human being that I'm taking care of and I'm, I refuse to do that. I'm sorry, I can't. That's what's also tough is during COVID when I was in LA during the height of the pandemic, I'm an ICU nurse, but I never dealt with ECMO because that's more of a higher level of care. I have always done vents, CRT and things like that, balloon pumps. So Basically, they told me I'm getting an ECMO and this is the Wild West. You have no other choice. Here's a quick PowerPoint. And yeah, you feel, of course, during that time, I had great nurses around me to help me through the situation. But I almost felt like I didn't have a choice to say no because of the circumstance of this pandemic. And I just had to take care of this patient the best I can. So there's always those, you know, different viewpoints. And, and it's scary because at the end of the day, you are a nurse and it's your license you have to advocate for yourself just like the patient to the fullest degree because just like this situation, you get dinged at the end of the day and you, you lose your license. Well, she did get suspended and they investigated the incident and then a hearing later found that she was guilty of professional serious professional misconduct. The police investigated her for potential grievous bodily harm charge, but they concluded that there was insufficient evidence. So... I don't know what that charge entails, but maybe you have to prove that they intended to do something, you know, and she clearly was not doing it intentional, but. Yeah, I wonder if the agency was actually held liable for, for this. They should have been held liable for this as well, not properly educating their, their, their nurses. Yeah, because he didn't die, but he is, his sister said he's not the same as he was before, you know, where he was able to get himself around and use his computer mentally. He's not capable of doing that anymore. And so it, it did cause permanent brain injury. And that's the sad part that I personally feel like it's common sense to bag a patient or initiate CPR if they can't breathe or X, Y, and Z. But here she neglected the fact that it was 21 minutes, which causes permanent brain damage. So it's at the end of the day, it's, yeah, it's the nurse's fault here. Well, it always comes down to us, doesn't it? <laughs> Our next story is a nurse by the name of Wanda Knuckles. And she was a registered nurse at the Northeast Atlanta and Rehabilitation Center in Georgia. And she was one of several nurses to care for a resident there by the name of James Dempsey. He was 89 at the time that this happened. And he had had a surgery and was taken there for rehabilitation. And he had re been reporting that there was some strange things happening. He was telling his son, Timothy, that there were people coming into his room all hours of the night. Apparently they had to place him on a dementia floor because the regular floor where he should have been was full. There were no beds. So he was on sort of a unit where most of the patients had dementia and were confused. And he said that at one time a female resident tried to get in the bed with him at night. And then there was a, a male resident that came into his room unclothed. He said things would go missing from his room. And so his son decided to put a camera in his room just to sort of monitor, you know, what's going on. He could kind of keep an eye on his dad. And then on February 27th in 2014, he passed away. His son was thinking, you know, he seemed to be fine. I don't really understand why 
you know, all of a sudden he's gone. I mean, it happens for sure. But he went back and looked at the footage of, of the video and discovered that medical professionals that were called into his room, you know, when they discovered that he had passed away or that he was in distress, did not administer CPR immediately. So someone realized he was unresponsive. And then when several people came in there, one of which was the charge nurse, and that's Wanda Knuckles, they did not administer CPR. They didn't even try. And in fact, you can hear them on this is so disturbing, but one of them brought an oxygen tank in there and was attempting to hook it up. And they were fumbling around with it and couldn't, I don't know if they couldn't figure out how to work it or what was going on, but they started laughing. And it's just really hard to imagine a situation where I would think anything was funny, you know, under these circumstances. And I laugh at everything, but in this situation, I cannot imagine laughing. I would just be so horrified, you know, what's going on, let alone you're a nurse and you're not doing something to try to help this person. He's a full code. Chest compressions should have been started immediately. There's so many things that are wrong with this story. And before even the whole CPR event happened, she failed to do a proper assessment. The patient clearly had abdominal breathing. Maybe he wasn't tachypnic, but he was labored. You can tell when you just look at the guy that there's something going on. His sheets are kind of rising up and down. So this was at midnight, I believe, and it was already past four o'clock. She failed to do an assessment, failed to call a doctor. So many protocols that were broken that led to the sad situation of the patient coding. It's very sad because not only did like the process once again failed. They didn't. They didn't follow the process. But man, and I were actually watching the like a little bit of the of the court hearing before we hopped on here, and the story that she gave before the video was published was different than what actually happened. So I'm not sure if you, you listened to the court case, but she said that when she went into the room, there was a nurse giving CPR, and they switched roles. She started then giving CPR, and if you look at the video evidence, nobody gave CPR until X amount of time already in. And if you saw that the, the way they were giving CPR, it was literally like six light compressions and, and that's it. And then she, she tried to bag and she wasn't even successfully bagging either because she couldn't figure out for a little bit. So the process failed in this case and then her nursing knowledge failed in this case as well because it doesn't seem like she was, she was doing anything. If you watched the full video, it doesn't seem like anyone's really doing anything in the room. They're just walking around trying to figure out basically what to do and then they're, they're laughing. Nobody was able to kind of take initiative and take charge on on what steps we should, we should be doing. And the fact that she lied about what she did just kind of shows you what kind of person, I guess, she was as a nurse. Because you knew what, what you did. Like, this is for sure a memorable experience, memorable experience for her. Guarantee this was brought up multiple times before and she had to reflect on it. And she knew what she was doing in that room and she knew she did nothing. She but, she, yeah, but she lied. And then the video evidence showed that she lied. And that's like the, that just shows you what kind of person she is. She probably lied because she knew the fact that you need a consent to be recorded. So at first you could fight this case, but if it goes up to the Supreme Court and they rule it, hey, you could, you could use this camera, now you're screwed. And that's when she had to switch her statement and mm -hmm. she got the red flag there. Yes, she did file a motion to suppress the video because she, you know, there is a law in Georgia that both parties have to give permission to be recorded. And so I'm sure her attorney told her that she would win that, you know, that they, they would end up getting that thrown out and then they would have no case against her. So the, but the state argued in response to that, that the video recording was admissible because it fell within an exception to the law known as the security exception, 
which uh, provides that it's not unlawful for the owner or occupier of real property to use for security purposes. So in other words, you can have a security camera. You know, a lot of people have those little doorbells that I have one that, you know, records everything, including the mailman going by. And so whatever, you know, happens is going to be recorded. And then you also have those inside of your home and you can have them outside on your corner of your house and you can be recording anything at any time if it's on your property in order to protect your property. And so that is an exception to that. And the way that the court saw it is, yes, that is a public place, but it was his private room. I mean, it wasn't a private room, but it's his space. And he has the right to protect his things. Hearing aids are very expensive. So his son is installing that camera in order to prevent a crime. So it definitely fell within if it, within the exception. The trial judge ruled in the state's favor and let it stay in. And then they appealed it to the state Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court upheld that ruling and let it stay in because they said, oh, no, it definitely falls within that exception. They were perfectly within their rights. And that recording, like, look how critical that was, because without the recording, you're basically going by whatever the nurses said that they did. And of course, their story is going to be be the story where we gave compressions, we gave CPR until the paramedics came in, but it, it, it didn't happen. Didn't didn't happen at all. No. They waited an hour before they started compressions. And then, I mean, they knew he wasn't alive. So they, the only reason that they did the compressions, they had to be, was that to put on some sort of show for when EMS arrived to make it look as though they were trying to help him. But the fact is that you can watch this video and see him, this 89 year old veteran who was just a wonderful person and I, I saw a video of an interview of his neighbor talking about what a wonderful person he was. And in this video, you can hear him saying, help me, I can't breathe. And I just wanted to sit the head of the bed up so bad, you know, he was just laying down. He, he, he couldn't breathe and he couldn't get himself up and he's laying down. And I just was like, set the head of the bed up. If only somebody had walked in there and set the head of the bed up and just, you know, you can throw some oxygen on him. You can listen to him and see, you know, is he having some pulmonary edema? What's going on? Call the doctor, get some Lasix, whatever you need to do. That would have been preventable. He, his death would absolutely have been preventable. I guarantee it. hundred percent. Yeah. That was, that was complete neglect. This is the future we're going to be entering. I wonder how nurses are going to feel about technology and recording. I know now I wouldn't feel comfortable having somebody privately record me in my, in my patient's room. So I'm not, I'm not gonna do anything bad. I just personally would like to know with consent. So where is this future going to be where our name tags are slowly going to be monitoring our steps in the future in healthcare and how often are we rounding on our patients? And if you enter the room, your badge is gonna be there visible with your name. Where I've had uh, patients' families record me doing care this was when I, when I was younger, I used to work in like a rehab center slash like nursing home. And there was just one, one resident that was fairly new and they had a bad experience at a different rehab center. So they were kind of taking precautions on, on how they're going to do things here or where I used to work. And I didn't have an issue with them, with them recording me. It was the fact that they didn't tell us that they were recording us. And then, then we, had, we kind of found out about it. And there was no reason for, for them to record because there was no nothing bad going on. Like this was a, it's a new patient. So we never we were even really familiar with them. Right. So they found out they're recording us. So after that, 
the manager came up to him and explained that, hey, you can't record because because of legal situations and all that. So then they started asking if they could record. And some, some you know, nurses and CNAs said, said sure. Like there was one day where I was like, okay, yeah, you could record. I'm not doing anything besides, you know, boosting you up, you up in bed and doing some just patient care. So it was no big, big, big deal for me. But then we all came in as a unit and said, hey, like this recording has, has to stop because we weren't sure what they were, what they were planning on doing with this recording. Oh, yeah. yeah, we all gave good, good care. You know, but then, you know, God forbid we do step three before step two. And she's like, oh, this is according to law. You should be doing this first. And you get screwed over something little. So we came in as a unit and said, hey, you can't you can't record us anymore. And 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 they stopped. But it's it definitely puts you on edge a little bit when you get recorded, for sure, because you're not sure you can do the best patient care. But like I said, you do step three instead of step two. And then you're screwed over over something little. And then there's a lawsuit on your hands and you're losing your license over over something minute that you had no no intention of doing. So it's definitely scary. So I, I could see why people don't want to be recorded. I was going to say, honestly, I knew that maybe in the future I could potentially go to law and have all that happen. But till I was watching all these news videos and reading over the, this episode, I'm like, wow, man, this is this could happen to anybody. It could, could happen so quick. Yeah. And then you're just in court trying to testify and all you have is just your chart there to back you up. Yeah. And even like nurses with good intentions, they, they get caught up doing like things that they didn't intend to do and they just get screwed over. And there goes their license, all that. All that tuition money that they spent goes goes nowhere because they can't practice anymore. And those four years of school goes nowhere. Yeah. And in certain cases, you can be charged criminally, too, for making a mistake because it's considered negligence. So we have to be careful. A career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field. Offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. So, Brayden, you actually reached out to me about CBD Stack because they sponsored a podcast a couple of months ago. And then I was so happy when you reached out to let me know that you really liked the product. So tell everybody your experience with it. So I get chronic headaches. If you saw my life, like what I'm doing, I just had a kid. I'm starting school. I'm moving into a house. I, I just have so much on my plate. So after getting this CBD oil, I tried it. I put it on and within 10 minutes of my headache, it started fading away. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. It, it was. So I love CBD stat. They have an excellent product. I use the 5,000 milligrams. It's a lifesaver. Their product is really pure, very strong. And that's probably the reason why it works so well. Yeah. They have a, a really nice, like 30% off yeah. discount. That's, that's amazing for 
all of our listeners. And the way that you get that discount is that you have to go to their website at cbdstat.care. So it's not .com or .org or .net, it's .care. So cbdstat.care, and but then you put forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So, and by doing that, then it sort of takes you to a special portal where you will get 30% off of whatever you order, which is really cool. It is. And it's 100% worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys, if you're interested in it, go to www.cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse and get your 30% off. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com. And use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. The next story is a little different because, well, for one thing, it's a doctor. We don't, we're not just going to pick on nurses. So this is a the story of Dr. Beth Keegstra. And she was an emergency room doctor in California. And then this young basketball player I believe he was in high school or college but he was pretty I was high school and he was playing basketball or he was practicing and he collapsed and then he was rushed to the hospital apparently waited three hours to be seen I don't think that's that unusual really for an emergency department depending on where it is and what time it is but he tried to explain his symptoms to this doctor and she started mocking him and the video is really hard to watch because she's like swearing at him. She's laughing at him, mocking him. She basically treated him like he was, quote, an addict looking for drugs and faking his condition. And real in reality, he had some sort of a condition where he had to take clonopin and he had run out of his clonopin. So what was really weird about this is on the video, you could see her, he's laying down flat and you see her grab his arm and pull on him and say, sit up. And she said it like, so she was just so forceful and hateful. It was really unbelievable to see a, someone who's supposed to be a professional reading a patient that way. I don't care what you think of them or if in the back of your mind, you think that they're, you know, they possibly could be faking 
there's no excuse for the way she acted because she literally assaulted him trying to pull him up. And he was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't move. I can't sit up. And then she's like, and then he goes, I can't inhale. And she started laughing at him. And she said, what do you, oh, you can't inhale. Oh, are you dead, sir? Like it was really bad. And the, and his dad was sitting there and got the whole thing on video. Yeah. It was a 20 year old kid. So actually it's college. So I was, I was definitely wrong. But I'm trying to think back when I had some patients that, that didn't want to like adhere to the medical plan, but this is a little bit of a different situation. So I'm gonna take it a different route because I know when I had an accident uh, a year ago and when I went to an emergency room, they didn't believe in my symptoms either. And, and they, they sent me home on, on like pain medication and, and a flexor or muscle relax and, and they didn't really believe the pain that I was going through. So I could definitely relate to them. I didn't have anybody pull me or anything like that, but I definitely had nurses look me in the eyes and, and didn't believe me what I was going through. And it was, it was like mind blowing. And plus I come from a nursing background. So I was trying to explain to them, hey, I'm a nurse. Like this is what, what's going on. Why does nobody want to believe me? And they just kind of put me, put me off to the side thinking it was no big deal. And you, you, just, you just feel like shit being on that receiving end because especially as like a nurse, like I try to provide the best quality quality care that I can. And now I'm here in a hospital in the, in the ER and nobody wants to believe me what, what's going on. So I definitely felt like, felt like shit like, like that too. But there has been times where I was a nurse and I had a, like an unruling patient that didn't want to do anything. And thus, thus frustrate you because we obviously didn't see this, this whole interaction with, with the nurse and the patient. We only saw the snippet that the, that the father recorded, right? We didn't see it from the entrance to, to, to exit. You know, maybe the patient was a little unruling, didn't want to, to do these things. The nurse still should not be pulling on his arm. The nurse still should not be acting in that manner or in that way. The best thing for you to do is if you have a patient that doesn't want to comply, or doesn't want to do anything, just leave them alone. Just ignore it. If they don't want to help themselves, then don't help them. You'll still be there during an emergency, but don't add on to this. Don't try to, like you, like you saw, pull his arm or antagonize him. That's the point. It doesn't help anybody in that situation. And, you know, we're not from the ER, but I know the ER is wild. I'm sure they see crazy patients. There's, I'm sure there's frequent flyers that lie about things. So that only adds to the fuel. So maybe she had a few crazy patients and then she took it out on him. But that's not acceptable. You have to kind of calm down, reground and approach everybody the same way, not be air, so arrogant and rude to the, this guy. I'm not sure what this nurse got charged with or if she got in trouble or anything, or sorry, doctor, but she definitely should have been reprimanded in some kind of a, a, a way, probably not taking her license away, but maybe has, has to go take a class or do some learning on how to properly, you know, speak and take care of patients on that kind of level. Yeah, she lost her job there. They did fire her, uh, but her license is still active. And, but it's, there's no evidence uh, that she is employed at this time. She may be, maybe she went, maybe she moved out of state. Who knows what happened? Maybe she changed her name, but I've never worked in an emergency department, but I definitely can empathize with, you know, the, the frustration of feeling like there's a lot of people who come in with conditions that are, aren't actual emergencies, filling up the emergency rooms. However, I will say that I have seen people who work in ERs complaining about people coming in. And I have to say that I don't think, and I, you know, I, I say this respectfully, but I don't think that they always understand what constitutes an emergency because I saw a post by an emergency room nurse on social media once that said a kidney stone is not an emergency yet. Uh, yes, it hurts, but it's not going to kill you. They could definitely kill you. Have you ever had one? I said some hydronephrosis leading to Thank sepsis, you. right? 
That's funny. And you guys, I didn't, I didn't even say anything about this, but that's exactly what I was about to say because I went to the, to an ER several years ago. It was actually the hospital where I worked at the time. So it was really embarrassing, but I, I was in so much pain. I had no choice. And so I went into the emergency department and my I had right lower quadrant pain. So for one thing, it could be appendicitis. And yeah, that is definitely a life-threatening emergency if you if you have extreme you know, lower quadrant pain and your appendix bursts, and that could definitely be life-threatening. But also I had a seven millimeter kidney stone that had to, they had to remove it emergently because I did have hydronephrosis. So yeah, that's that's not true. And I think that we need to calm down a little bit and realize that you do work in an emergency department and sometimes people come in because they don't know whether it's an emergency or not. You don't know what's wrong. It may be a kidney stone that's small enough to pass and, and it's not an emergency, but you don't know that. That's why the emergency department is there. And there are people who don't have insurance, so they don't have a primary care. I'm sorry, that's the country that we live in. And so, the, yeah, they are going to go there if they have something wrong because they are required by law to, you know, assess people and, see, and treat them. But it is an entirely different thing, though, to judge people on an individual basis when they come in and treat them like they're lying about their symptoms. That is inappropriate and it's, it's disrespectful and it's unprofessional in any way that you look at it, in my opinion. You should never look at a patient and decide just based just based on the way they look that you don't believe them. 100%. And back to your situation, Pete, because I actually helped Peter in the emergency room there. We, the next day went to a different hospital. And in that ER, same thing. Hey, Peter's in a lot of pain. Yeah. Get this guy in. They didn't want to admit him yet. They didn't want him to see him because it was change of shift. So nurses, what, what, did, they, what did she say? There's no nurses available right now because they're, they're, they're having a meeting. Or something like a that. A change yeah. of shift. Mm -hmm. And Peter's just, we can't swear because it's a you know, clean podcast, but Peter's screaming f-bombing until peter starts throwing up then things start changing because now we got to clean up the floor and now they finally started you know looking at peter maybe there's something wrong with him even when I, after i vomited because this was a different er even after i vomited and got taken inside they still didn't believe me like it was like the the weirdest thing i i never knew that this this could happen in healthcare like I never knew because yeah there's frequent flyers that you know of that they're coming for the same thing every week and you know and you know that that they're really not having these symptoms. They just want to be here, because when someone says chest pain, you can't just just say no, right? You, you can't even 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 if you know he's he's faking it, or he's just here for a sandwich, or he's just here for for just like just somewhere to to sleep for the night. You still can't send him home because they're coming for for chest pain or or something or some some head issues. You, you can't you can't do that. You just got to be careful, especially in the ER. Yeah, because you don't know what that person is really feeling, and they may be a frequent flyer. They may be someone that comes in all the time, and you are fully welcome to go to the break room and vent all you want to about you know how this guy comes in every week. You know whatever you can think whatever you want to in your mind. And but you have to act professionally to every person. You should treat everyone the same, you know, as much as humanly possible. Yeah, it's like we always have to follow protocols, you know, whether it's just like you say, chest pain, you have to go assess and troubleshoot that no matter what, no matter what it is, just like you say, we could chit chat with our colleagues or step aside and be pissed about the situation or laugh about it, joke about it. But at the end of the day, it's your license. You have to follow those protocols because just like we watch these videos at the court of law, it's not going to uphold. It's just the protocols that will. 
Yeah. And our last two stories are really sort of similar. So there was a man and a woman who both did sort of similar things. One of them, he hid or he didn't actually hit. He didn't mean to do this. He turned his phone on a recording app and in order to get instructions about his surgery. And he was afraid, you know, when I wake up, I'm not going to remember this conversation. So he, he hit record and then his phone was in his pocket and he never turned it off. And so it was on recording the whole time through the surgery. And you can hear this anesthesiologist, this was in Reston, Virginia, say some pretty cringy things. So one of the things she said was, after five minutes of talking to you in pre-op, I wanted to punch you in the face and man you up a little bit. And she she told the others in the room not to touch a rash on his arm because they might get syphilis or something. She said, I love it. I don't even argue with these people anymore. I just go, okay, no known drug allergies and write it on their chart. I'm like, you're stupid. You're too stupid to know what's wrong. People are into their medical problems. They need to have medical problems. I call it the Northern Virginia syndrome. So basically saying that people just love having medical problems and just will try to find anything wrong with themselves to come in. So he did sue them and he got $500,000 from her and her practice because of that defamation. And she still has her license to practice in Florida. She moved. I guess she had to completely move. And then there was a woman, her name is Ethel Easter from Houston. She actually on purpose hit a recording device in her hair when she went in for hernia surgery because she kind of had an awkward situation with the staff in the clinic and the doctor when scheduling the surgery. And so she hid this. And so when she comes out, you can hear she plays it back. And sure enough, here's the doctor saying some inappropriate things, not not horrible, but just like, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe you said that, you know, and stuff that you really would probably hear a lot of staff saying, just like rambling, you know, just like talking. And she's unconscious, so they don't, they figure, well, she can't hear anything, but, you know, she could hear it because she was, she had that device hidden there. One of the things is the doctor is basically explaining to everyone what happened with her. They said, she's a handful. He said, she called to make her appointment. And when we didn't schedule her within two weeks, she got mad and said she was going to get an attorney and file a lawsuit and a complaint. And he was like, well, go ahead. You know, he said, you know, it just doesn't seem like the thing to say to a person who's going to do your surgery, which I thought, ooh, that could be taken as a little bit of a, not a threat because he wasn't saying it to her, but it almost there's almost a hidden meaning there like she was definitely trying to stir the pot a little bit and i feel like as medical professionals sometimes we're so desensitized to everything that we say like looking at the news news stories from these pieces of information i feel like sometimes on the news they take it to a whole nother degree like the people the outside world doesn't know how the hospital is so as nurses talking about this some maybe little gestures or situation that we talk about it's very minute but for other people in the public it's like wow how can you say such a thing so we have to keep that balance when, you know, things are recorded or for for patients, we have to just be mindful of what we say and everything. Yeah, because all our nurses and, and ISU nurses, we're, you know, we're pretty raunchy sometimes, but it's never really about a patient. We don't talk about a patient. We just, you know, talk either about ourselves or just or just joke around, but we never bring the patient, patient into this. If you're listening to this, you that's word to the wise. You need to be remembering this. Like I said earlier, I am a very empathetic person. And so I, I would not be comfortable talking about the patient. Now, one thing that that this doctor said 
that you could hear him saying is he was he referred to one of her breasts as precious that you know the movie precious and so he kind of named them that and then they were he was kind of joking about that that's so disrespectful and just I don't know it's like I feel like it's disrespectful to the other staff in the room too. It's just inappropriate to be saying something like that. So she's not going to file. She's apparently is saying she's not going to file a lawsuit or she hadn't at the time that, that this article was written, but she is taking it to her story to the media because she wants to bring awareness about it, which I'm glad that she is because I think that we all need to be aware that this could happen at any time that they make hidden cameras that look like, you cannot tell. They look like a pen. They look like a cl- an alarm clock. They look like a cell phone. They can look like anything. And they literally can record everything that's going on. Right. I know a preceptor once told me that if you're ever like in a room with a patient during surgery or just in a pa- in like a room in general, she always said that act like you're being recorded. I'm not sure if, if anything has happened in like in her past history for her to tell me this. I, I never really asked her, but that's how, kind of how I go about things. Like when you're in a patient's room, it's up, it's about them. You know, it's not the best place for making jokes and all that. Once you step out the room, then you can start, you know, talking if, 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 you, if you would like. But once you're in that room, like focus on a patient. And of course, we do do patient care. We say a few jokes amongst each other and, and stuff like that, but never about the patient, like we said before. A good example is giving a bath. Sometimes it takes 40 minutes in the ICU. Are we just going to be in complete silence because you know, somebody's in critical care. Like I res- I respect everything I'm doing, but I, I need time away from everything I'm doing to just maybe have a little joke, have some positivity in my life because the profession that we're in, it's so draining. And if you're just completely serious, you, you're going to lose yourself in the job oh, yeah. mentally. Yes. And I think that there is, I, I personally said my opinion, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, you know, keeping it respectful to the patient, just remembering, you know, that I always say, I say the same thing and I tell uh, nurses that I precept as well, always, I try to act like I'm being recorded all the time and I always tell others to always act like you're being recorded because then you're, that's integrity, right? You're going to have, your integrity is going to stay intact that way because you're always going to do everything the, you know, the right way, the right time, the right, whatever. And, but also when you're dealing with patients that are sedated and uh, intubated, to always act like they can hear you, like always assume they can hear you because there are times when a patient has woke, has awakened and, and they're like, I heard everything you guys were saying, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, what did we say? <laughs> so they can hear everything you say. And then that doesn't mean you can't talk. You can still talk and say whatever you want to, but just don't say anything or inappropriate about the patient or something you wouldn't want them to hear. You know what I mean? I had a similar situation too, but not, it wasn't bad in, 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 the, in the sense, but it was just a patient that, that woke up after we, after we turn off the sedation, here he remembers who was there based off their voice. So he's like, "Oh, I remember your your voice, and I remember your voice." And he remembers some of the things that we would say. And that was that was like the first time I was like, "Oh shit!" Like, that's crazy. And and also a lot of times people say that the last thing, last thing to go, last sense that that's going to go uh, when you die is your hearing. So even when when someone's you know on their deathbed, you still gotta be careful on what you're saying because. A lot of times it's what people always tell me. I don't, know, I don't know how factual that is. I never looked it up, but I've always been told that, hey, the last thing to go is, is hearing. Yeah, you make a very good point because there was actually an intubated patient that was just helping me turn because she had a bowel movement. And a couple of days later, after she got extubated, she knew which nurse it was and what she said. She knew how bad she got offended by that. Yeah. And, and it was commenting about her body that she was overweight. Yeah. 
that's just not appropriate, you know? Yeah. So be kind be thoughtful and considerate to those people. You don't, you know, you don't want their last moments to be hearing something that's, you know, uncomfortable or disturbing, you know, in any way you want that to be comforting and, and soothing, you know, as much as possible. Well, I guess that was our bad nurse story. We got through that pretty good. And there was a lot of stories in there. And, uh, I think we had a lot of good conversation. That's exactly what I was hoping would come out of it. It's just sort of kind of working through all of that and finding a, a good place to be for all of us. You know, hopefully we won't get to a point where there are cameras everywhere and recording, <laughs> actually recording us because, you know, I, I don't think I would be comfortable in that situation, honestly. As a travel nurse, we have less of that because you don't know your staff as much, you're less familiar. So you tend to be professional with everybody. But I can see this becoming an issue. And I remember when you're a staff nurse and you know all your freaking friends that are working this shift, it's gonna be a good time. So sometimes things could slip in. So you've got to be very, very careful and mindful of what you say. No, I was curious about a lot of ICUs now have, have cameras there, but they're just for the physician, like an intensivist to come on and do their rounds. I've always been a little paranoid sometimes about if the cameras are in the background always rolling, just in case, you know? And yeah, they turn out when a physician comes in, but but they have a, an option to just keep recording. That's, I was always fascinated by that because in my prior hospital in Chicago, we had the cameras, but when they were off, they turned the lens to the corner. So, so they couldn't record anything that was going on. But, and I don't know if it was St. John's, but I know I flew it somewhere else or it was a different hospital. And though it was a similar cameras, but they're always painted, uh, posted or looking on the patient. So those I was always paranoid about because I'm like, hey, I've seen the same camera in my prior hospital and they're able to turn them to the corner so you can't, you know, think that it's spying on you. And, and, and these are just straight up like right there, like looking at you the whole time. Well, because, you know, you can take a little clip of a, of a video and, you know, twist it around to whatever. And it's like you were saying earlier, you can be doing all the things right and be a really good nurse and take excellent care of your patient. But, you know, maybe one time you do step three before, you know, you do step two or whatever, and then they're going to you know, find some reason to sue. And then you're going to be held accountable. And why did you do this? You know, is it not in Lippincott nursing that you are supposed to, you know, yes, it is. Well, okay. You know, you're just, uh, yeah, those are the, to me, that's, it gets scary, you know, just kind of putting you under that kind of pressure, you know. Hopefully we don't accept that as a nursing profession because we kind of accepted it on a civilian standpoint, as crazy that sounds. Hopefully we could keep that uh, barrier and definitely as like a profession as a whole, and this is me speaking to every nurse out there listening, we need to have that standard, the gold standard of the most trusted profession. So, you know, in these stories, we see that nurses are neglecting little things that could have prevented death just by being skillful in their assessment and their standard nursing practice. So if we uphold that and we take, if we religiously practice what we preach and what we do and be really good at it, we, America as a whole, from the outside looking in, they're gonna respect nurses more. Maybe they won't be pushing to maybe want to record or want to do all this because they won't hear as much bad stories. But it's hard to because of course bad things happen. So yeah, I think that this might be a good argument for you know having nursing be be governed nationally or federally instead of by state. Yeah, like a national license, you're saying. Right, and and even a, a national governing body that is rather than state to state, because you, you think about, you know, each state has different laws and, you know, one state may allow you to record without anybody's consent. And one state may not allow any recording. And, you know, they're, they're all different. 
But I feel like if you had one governing body that sort of is seeing that, then you get the kind of the best and the brightest all coming together and making the best decisions for healthcare. To me, that's better than having 50 different governing bodies. I don't know. That's just my opinion. You, you make a very good point. And even for the travel nurses, look at us. We have to apply for a license in every single state. Right now, we're applying to Hawaii because we want a travel nurse there. So I got to pay for my license fees in Hawaii, for my fingerprints. Now I got to pay for the, the nurse's website to send information from Illinois to Hawaii. California is different because they love to be different. So I, I got to pay 100 bucks to send my information to Hawaii. Why can't we just standardize that? As a nurse, I'm taking care of patients, but I'm being penalized and I have to pay all these fees just to go practice my license somewhere. Yeah, Tina, if you could solve that issue, I'm all for it. We support you. Yeah. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So that brings us to our good nurse story. And I told you guys that it is a heartbreaking story. There's no doubt about that. I don't want to focus on the bad part, though. I want to focus on her memory and who she was. But I will tell you what happened to her. Her name is Caitlin Kaufman. And Caitlin was um, an ICU nurse in Middle Tennessee. She worked in Nashville. And she was driving to work. And there was a gun shot and I don't think that they know exactly the all of the details of why this happened but it was a random shooting or someone shooting maybe at someone else and and she was the one that was hit while she was in her car she was shot and killed and it was just shocking it devastated the the whole state really it was it's it's and I feel like as nurses she was an ICU nurse I feel like she was a you know, a colleague of ours, a sister of ours, you know, so I just wanted to highlight her memory in her life. Her parents wanted her, wanted everyone to remember her for how she was. They said she was loving, caring. She grew up in Pennsylvania. Her dog was her whole world. It was her baby, her shadow, they said when she was home. And she went to Clarion University of Pennsylvania and was also a collegiate athlete on the swim team. She worked at St. Thomas Hospital there in Nashville. And they said that it was the city of her dreams. She dreamed of going, moving to Nashville. So she was living right where she wanted to be. She was determined to get there. So it's really, it just, oh, it's so heartbreaking to think of, you know, someone thinking of all the places that you could go and then you end up going somewhere where something horrible like this happens. But her mother said that she moved to Lebanon, Tennessee, which actually is outside of Nashville. It's a neighboring county in October of last year because she wanted to be closer to friends who lived in that county. She had a circle of friends down there. So they said she was very carefree, very loving, very sassy at times. Of course, you have to kind of have to be if you're an ICU nurse. And they said she could make you laugh. She brightened her room when she walked in. She was the most loyal person that they had ever met, they said. She only let a few people into her circle, but once you were in, you were family. And her daughter loved to take care of people. So that's why she wanted to become a nurse. She was always the mom in any group. She looked out for everybody. 
And she's like, you know, if that's how you are, you should go into nursing. And so that's what she did. That's pretty much it. She had a great work ethic, very studious. And she just sounds like a wonderful person. Yeah, I can recall with her because in my friends group, people sometimes call me the dad of the friends group. I'm always looking out for people. So I, you know, I really, my heart salutes, you know, to her and everything that happened. That's sad. It's wrong situation, wrong place, right time. It's usually as a, you know, a civilian, just like, why, why does God do that? You always question why do bad people go? And it's just, it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Caitlin's, you know, she's, she's a real hero. They've been calling us, you know, frontline heroes for a while, wrong place, wrong time. It's, it's crazy how you come into this world so quickly and then you can get taken out of it just as quickly. And that's why I love the ICU as well, because it humbles you. It kind of makes you appreciate that. It makes you realize how precious life is where you're going about your day. And, and, and that's what, and that's why I love the ICU as well, because it humbles you. It kind of makes you appreciate that. It makes you realize how precious life is where you're going about your day. And, you know, we hear it in our stories from our patients he was just okay. He was just walking a week ago. And then all of a sudden this guy has pneumonia, full blown out sepsis and we got a withdrawal care, right? So it's, life is precious. Life is precious. Well, that is going to wrap it up for our episode. Thank you guys so much for coming on to the show. Remind everyone where they can find your podcast. Sure. So we are couplenurses.com. You can find us on Instagram, couplenurses. Like I said, couplenurses.com. YouTube is also couplenurses. Make it really simple for y'all. It's couple nurses everywhere. And we also have a website called wearefrontlinewarriors.com. We have a lot of cool mindfulness stuff on there, yoga, health, wellness, and trying to, to be a better version of ourselves. Uh, some cool merch. You guys feel check us out on that one too. Yeah, and if anybody's interested in travel nursing or wants to know how travel nurses live their life, we vlog about it full time. So check us out on YouTube. Nice. I love it. Well, you guys know that you can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can find me on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. We're at goodnursebadnurse on Instagram and GMB and podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>